0: Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, a twice-monthly podcast in which I, a Great Lakes novice, ask people who are smarter and harder working than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. My name is Stuart Carlton, and I work with Illinois-Indiana Sea Grant, and I know a lot about how hard it is to assemble an IKEA bunk bed without the instructions because you left the instructions in Texas but I don't know a lot about the Great Lakes. And that's the point of this podcast. I'm joined today. Oh, it's a special day because I'm joined by Renee Miles, Illinois, Indiana Sea Grant Strategic Communicator. Renee, how are you? I'm doing pretty well, Stuart. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, recovering from the um, live show, which uh, I hope everybody listened to, um, that we recorded live at the Joint Aquatic Sciences meeting. And that show was a little um, loose, shall we say? But uh, we're recovering. Well, we're, we're back in the studio now. So
1: looseness aside, right? <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> um, but it, it's good to be back and sort of in my normal routine. I had not gone to a conference in a couple of years. And, um, uh, you know, traveling is good. But you know what else is good? My bed and uh, my my family. And so I'm glad to be back with them. I hear you. But so, uh, actually, so as the conference was starting, we um, got some bad news. And uh, 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 and that is that Monty, one of the piping plovers, was featured in Teach Me About the Great Lakes, um, one of our episodes from last year. We'll link to it in the in the uh, show notes. Uh, Monty died. Monty passed away suddenly. And, um, you know, we thought we would mark that occasion a little bit because uh, we did a couple of different episodes. And, and it was really an inspiring story. We're sorry to hear that, but we thought we would just um, try to celebrate Monty's life uh, just a little bit.
1: Yes, and I I wanted to join in that conversation because I was uh, a big fan.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I think a lot of people were. And so uh, to do that, we got a guest actually from um, Chicago Piping Clovers kind of organization to come on and talk to us. And we're we're just going to bring her straight on. Our guest today is uh, Tamima Itani. She is the lead volunteer coordinator of Chicago Piping and Clovers, a board member of the Illinois Ornithological Society, and the author of not one but two different books about Monty and Rose. Tamima, how are you today? I am good. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. Thanks. And, and thank you so much for coming on. So let's start... Uh, Actually, let's start with you, and then we'll move into it. Uh, You have kind of an unusual background, right? How did you end up working in bird conversation, or conservation, excuse me, in in Chicago?
2: I really have a background that has nothing to do with birding. Uh, I'm a biomedical engineer by education and a regulatory professional in the medical devices industry by profession. I retired a few years ago and took up birding. Um, and, um, so I've, I've been birding, you know, for the past, uh, five, six years and I greatly enjoy it.
0: And, um, so then did you start birding in where you were in Chicago itself or or did you come to Chicago later? How did you get involved? Like with with that?
2: Yeah. I've been birding. I'm sorry. I've been living in Chicago for the past, uh, 35, 38 years on and off. Um, I've had, uh, stints in, Minneapolis and Cincinnati and Boston, but Evanston and Chicago is where I've spent most of my adult life.
0: And so that brings us into uh, Monty and Rose. First of all, for those, so I recommend again to all listeners, go back and we'll have links to the show notes and listen to those um, two episodes. I don't remember the episode numbers off the top of my head, Um, but on Monty and Rose, but for those who are not super familiar, tell me who are, or what, Uh, do you say who? Anyway, who or what are Monty and, and Rose?
2: Monty and Rose are the two most adorable, and I'm not biased at all, um, piping plovers. They're Great Lake piping plovers, which makes them part of an endangered species. And in 2019, they showed up at Montrose Beach in Chicago. Um, That's one of the busiest beaches in Chicago. And they decided that it was a suitable place for them to nest. And uh, we fell in love with them and uh,
0: we've had um, a love story with them ever since. And so with um, so so I mean they're adorable in general, right? So people don't know a plovers because I did not honestly until I started uh, uh, working on this story. So so they're like these tiny little shorebirds, right um, and And I think the and this is the episode title is cotton balls with toothpick
2: legs at least when they're babies. <laughs> is that is that right? That's absolutely correct. Yes, yes. One bird once described them as diagnostically adorable.
1: That's how people usually describe them. And can you um, briefly mention the, how um, the endangered factor with them and with regards to the Great Lakes?
2: In the Great Lakes, um, you know, before the 1800s, there used to be, we estimate about 400 to 800 breeding pairs of piping plovers. But with uh, the loss of habitat and, um, you know, the conversion of beaches into residential areas, um, et cetera, the number of piping plovers dropped to a low of 12 pairs in the early 1980s. And and all of these pairs uh, were in uh, Michigan only. Um, so the Fish and Wildlife Service stepped in and declared them an endangered species and set a goal uh, for recovery of the piping plovers, and the goal is to go back to at least 150 pairs of piping plovers in the Great Lakes in order for them to be self-sustainable.
0: And so, what are we at now then? So, 150 is the goal.
2: We're pretty short, south of that currently, right? Uh, last year we had 74 breeding pairs, and last year was a good year. So we're we're still far After from there, that.
1: almost. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, halfway there, but also last year was a good year. Does it vary year
0: by year? Was last year, or is it kind of, is it a constant, what you want to see is a constant curve up, right? Um, yeah, is that how it is, or is it a little more variable?
2: It varies. Um, the year before, the, the Great Lakes, were the water levels were very high, and the beach space was low, and so the number was lower than that. It, it is an upward curve in general, but uh, there is variation year to year. Oh, I didn't
0: even think about this being a lake level story again, huh?
2: Absolutely, yes. So this is shaping up to potentially be a good year because the beach space this year is really good. So,
0: and maybe you don't know this. This could be a question for Francie Cuthbert if you don't. Um, uh, who's a biologist working on this? Who we interviewed last year? Um, if if the lake levels are high, what happens to these other birds that get crowded out? Do they find a different place to to breed, or is it, or is it, you know, do they? Uh, <laughs> her, what's the deal yeah.
2: it's a good question but there would be fewer nests or i think what also happens is birds will nest and then the water there'll be a storm and the water will wash out their nest oh i so see that's that's pretty tough
0: yeah so with monty and rose so they became chicago everybody fell in love it became a love story both between them and with chicago why is it do you think and so you have this big volunteer program right yes uh and and um I guess two questions. You can take them however you want. First of all, uh, what is it that the volunteers do exactly? But two, what is it about, is it Monty and Rose specifically or about plovers you think that make people fall in, in love with them?
2: You know, I, I believe that uh, people fall in love with piping plovers. Um, they're charming. And, you know, you think of your most charming Disney character and they're right there with them. They're cute. They scurry on the beach. They have personality. Their piping is cute. So, um, you know, they fit in the size of your hand. Their nest is the size of your palm. Everything about them is diminutive, yet, yet they're commanding this beach. They need the space. Uh, their chicks are amazingly cute. Um, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's really hard to describe how adorable they are. And um, there was a really large group of volunteers, mostly people who are conservation-minded Uh, who wanted to contribute to uh, watching over Monty and Rose, many people understood that what was happening at Montrose was a very rare event. Um, Piping plovers had not nested at Montrose in 71 years or in Cook County for that matter. Um, So everyone understood that it was a very rare event and, and everybody was, everybody was rooting for them. And so we asked for people to volunteer and that entailed being at Montrose in two hours shift in two hour shifts. And um, the shift started at 6am and didn't end until 8pm every day of the week. Wow.
0: And so were they just guarding? Is that what it was? Like they were protecting the nests or? or?
2: So uh, yes. Uh, okay. The first nest was literally in smack in the middle of the public beach. Uh, we had to, Put psychological fencing around the nest to let people know that there was a nest there and that they shouldn't step on it. Someone could step on the nest and never know they had done that because the nest is very small. So really making sure that people were respecting uh, the ropes we had put up. Um, People also, unfortunately, that let their dogs loose on on a public beach. Dogs can be very harmful to shorebirds and to nests. Um, we also watch for the general welfare of the piping plovers that they're doing okay
1: um, and so on. Are the volunteers mostly um, birders or, or are there other folks who are then sort of getting pulled into to the birding world as a result of it?
2: There were birders who signed up to be volunteers. I would say that the majority of the uh, volunteers were not birders and that was a bit of a puzzle for me early on. Uh, but a lot of the people who signed up You know, again, we're more conservation minded Uh, people from the Lincoln Park Zoo, as an example, people from the Sierra Club, people who are just avid nature um, folks. uh, Those are those are the folks that uh, primarily signed up to monitor the piping plovers. And a lot of them were not birders.
0: You know what this reminds me a lot of, Rini? Have, have you ever been to Florida during sea turtle birding season or birding, sea turtle nesting season? That's what this reminds me of. Like the sea turtles, which most of which are endangered, all of which, many of which, uh, it's a different podcast teaching me about the Gulf Coast. <laughs> but um, anyway, and, and they'll lay their eggs and people, they'll put little fences around them and people will guard the eggs and you have to put in, you can't have normal lights out and stuff like that. Interesting. And so people really want to feel like they're part of something, I think, right, too.
1: Yeah, and I was thinking, actually, that, you know, Monty and Rose being such celebrities about town that that probably added to people's, like, enjoyment as being a part of something that was, like, much bigger than Montrose Beach. It was, you know, citywide. Yes, uh, except that when, when we asked for volunteers,
2: initially, Monty and Rose were not known. They became oh, known... Yes, so it was novel to all of us, and and they really became celebrities later in the season. But uh, early on, people were really just attracted to the conservation story. Um, A lot of people doubted that Monte and Rose could make it at Montrose. It's such a public, busy beach. The first night of them scratching a nest, there was a women's ultimate frisbee league that was supposed to play exactly where they put their nest. And to their credit, um, the players were so gracious and said, hey, just tell us what we need to do and we'll do it. And that's what we did. The next night, it was the men's Ultimate Frisbee League. And again, they were super gracious. They said, we really need a visual for the delineation. And so we pulled every trash can off the beach and created a parameter. And and so yeah, people were very collaborative. But we had ultimate frisbee. We had uh, you know in their subsequent nest location, we had volleyball. And the one of the things the volunteers had to do was just stand there and catch any stray volleyball that was you know going into their protected area. So that that reminds. So their
0: nest would move every year. So how would people find Monty and 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 Rose? Like like so so they go away. They go. I can't remember somewhere south, right? Um, for the winter, right? Yes. Uh, and and so they would come back. Are people just like walking the beach during the you know center the right time of year,
2: looking for them, trying to spot them? So yes, Monty goes to Texas in the winter, and Rose goes to Florida, and then they come back. And I'll just give you an example for this year. Um, a local TV station, WGN, was doing an interview on the beach in anticipation of Monty coming back. And as they were doing the interview, the cameraman spotted Monty, who had just <laughs> arrived. I mean, that was such great, such great timing. You know, he took fantastic, <laughs> fantastic pictures of Monty. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, we literally go and wait for him on the beach. And, you know, and, and unfortunately, we waited this year for Rose and Rose didn't come back this year.
0: Yeah. And so that sort of turns us to this is kind of a rough a rough year with that. And so Rose didn't come back. Is there a, a theory? Does that mean that Rose probably died as well? Or does that mean that who knows?
2: We are afraid that Rose is lost as well. Uh, I talked to Dr. Cuthbert. It's not unheard of that a piping plover takes one season off, but it's extremely rare. Um, and I personally went to Anclote Key where Rose winters in March. I didn't see her. Uh, She has not, she had not been seen there since February, despite about like a handful of attempts to find her. So unfortunately it's, it's likely that she's gone as well. Uh, We probably will not be able to say
1: that with certainty till next year. In some ways that adds to the, the drama of the love story. Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. I know. I feel almost guilty about anthropomorphizing to this extent, but it really, I mean, it's just so poignant, right. And that, that Rose doesn't come and then, and then Monty, I mean...
2: I mean, You can say it. You're not the first one. People think Monty died of a broken heart. Yeah, Absolutely. and I, I know that that's almost definitely
0: not true, but it, it sure feels that way, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. But really, weren't they... I mean, so they, they appeared in 2019. What is it now? We're in about the eighth year of 2020 right now, but uh, I guess that technically on the calendar is 2022. So, I mean, chances are they were, what, four, five, six years old, something like that?
2: Yeah, so actually we know a lot about Monty and Rose, and... What surprised me immensely is that after the first nesting season of 2019, I was just curious to find out when had I seen my first piping plovers, And I went back to my eBird checklist and um, I nearly fell off my chair when I found out that I had actually seen Monty and Rose in their hatch year at Waukegan in Northern Illinois in August of 2017. So I had received a call from a birding buddy and he said, you should go to Waukegan. There are piping plovers in Waukegan. And I didn't tell him I didn't know what piping plovers were. That was my first year of birding, but I quickly looked it up and I realized they're endangered. And I drove to Waukegan, took pictures and looking at my pictures back in 2019, I realized, Oh my goodness, this is Rose and this is Monty. And uh, you know, they're bandits so we can tell. Right, right. And, um, that was before they were Rose and Monty. <laughs> so they, so 2017 hatch year, they stopped by Waukegan for about 10 days. 2018, they come back to Waukegan. They nest there and the nest fails. So um, they spent a little bit of time at Montrose in 2018. And the next year, 2019, they come back to Montrose. And, and so they were both in June, they would both be five years old. So that's, that's kind of, within
0: the range of what you'd expect for a lifespan potentially right
2: that is correct they can live up to 16 years I mean they have been plovers who have nested uh, you know when they were 15 and 16 year old the average life expectancy is five years old because of predation and,
0: oh I see yes so this this was a fairly for for birds who make it to this this age this was a fairly young uh, uh, time to have uh, been lost them
1: yes. I find it fascinating that they switched be- beaches midstream and then they both knew where to come <laughs> the next year. <laughs> yes,
2: and, and I think the fact that they after
1: after their nest
2: failed in Waukegan, the fact that they came south to Montrose Beach and spent some time there uh, the following year, they remembered, in my opinion, they remembered that beach and that's where they nested.
0: So then there was a... Uh this week you held a kind of a commemoration ceremony or something like that. So take us in in that room. Who was there? Or I guess it was outside probably, but who was there and and what was that? What was that like?
2: The event was scheduled for 6 PM on Wednesday at 5 PM. There were tornado warnings in North, in Northeastern Illinois, and there were beach hazard warning. And so, um, I, you know, I was reconciling myself with the fact that we might have like a handful of people coming to the event. Well, despite uh, the weather, we had somewhere between 150 and 170 people come to the event. A lot of the volunteers who monitored them for three years in a row. Um, we had representatives from the Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, we had the uh, long-time Montrose Beach steward, Montrose Beach volunteers, and then people who really just knew Monty and Rose from reading about them in the local media and wanted to come and commemorate
1: with us. I would imagine that was a kind of important for the volunteers to kind of say goodbye officially. Yeah.
2: Yes, it was very important for the volunteers. We had already geared up for a nesting season. We had done the training, ordered the parking permits, the badges, and so on. So we were really, and, and with Monty returning, we thought, okay, it's a matter of time for Rose to come back. And we're just in this mode of we're ready for another year. Um, so, so, so Monty's passing was crushing to all of us. And it was important for us to get together as a group and celebrate their lives and celebrate what they had meant to us and the time we had spent with them. The volunteers will tell you about all the tough weather and, and um, you know, the, the, the tough uh, shifts that they had on the beach. But every single volunteer or most of the volunteers came back year after year because they loved Monty and Rose and their chicks so much.
1: How many volunteers were there? Uh,
2: the first year, we had 190 volunteers. Uh, the second year and the third year, we organized things in a way that people had to do a recurring shift every year. So we only needed about 100, 110 volunteers. But in aggregate, over three years, I would say well over 200 volunteers.
0: And so a big chunk of those showed up. Like, So did people, were they talking? Like they gave... Talk like I don't know eulogies, whatever. Like your readings, yeah.
2: Yes, exactly. So, so what we did, I mean, we had like really a really nice display uh, Mm -hmm. representing Monty and Rose and every chick that hatched, um, you know, throughout their lives, Um, and and you know we had bouquets of flowers with ribbons that represented the color of of their bands. You know, each one has a unique combination of bands, so we put ribbons that represented the color of their bands. And then we had um, people representing the birding societies and the monitors, um, as well as the Montrose Beach Dune Steward talk about their experience uh, being involved with Monty and Rose. Uh, We had a lot of local media um, as well.
0: So we're now in the post Monty and, and seemingly post Rose era. So does that mean so Montrose Beast itself? Are there other breeding pairs there um, or, or, or not at this time?
2: So currently, we have a very very special plover at Montrose. Um, it's Imani. His name is Imani. He was he hatched at Montrose last year to Monty and Rose. And I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. So this is the first time that. A Montrose Hatch chick has come back to Montrose. And Imani first showed up in Duluth, Minnesota, um, on May 15 and 16. We had not heard of him on the wintering grounds, so it was a total surprise when he showed up in Duluth, Minnesota. And we thought he'd find a place in Minnesota or Wisconsin to us. And what do you know? Um, a few days later, he's at Montrose. He spotted at Montrose, and uh, he was there for for his uh, for the commemoration. So that was very special. He's still there. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, right now there's not a female at Montrose. So if a female comes, that would be great. If a female doesn't come, what may happen is that Imani will decide to keep roaming. Uh, along the great lakes until he finds a territory and a female time will tell
1: and where are um where are the rest of the the offspring are they scattered around the great lakes well unfortunately we have not
2: heard back from any of them this year um, imani is the only one that we've heard of so far this year that's the hard
0: thing about species conservation right is that it's it's yep. uh It's a numbers game, and when the numbers are are low, it's just, uh, yeah. yeah.
2: So one of the 2020 hatches, his name is Nish. You may have heard the story of Nish returning to Ohio and pairing with Nellie. And Nish and Nellie were the the first nesting pair in Ohio in 83 years. Uh, So that was a very special story as well. Um, They hatched four chicks. Only three fledged and one of them, her name is Erie, uh, fell ill. So she had to be taken to the Detroit Zoo and she will spend the rest of her life at the Detroit Zoo for her own good.
0: So to listeners who are out there listening to this and, and thinking of this as like a local story, which it is, it's a Chicago, I mean, part of the beauty of this story is that it is very local. And you see um, how a community uh, can come together around two birds right? Um, uh, uh, and that can really bring people together. And that's that's special. And, and that is local to some extent. But w- why are Monty and Rose important?
2: Monty and Rose have opened the eyes of many people to the need for conservation. So conservation was happening, but it was, you know, I would say it may not have not been as public as it relates to piping plovers and shorebirds and beach habitat, it may not have been as as public um, or as understood with the general public as, you know, with Monty and Rose. Um, you know, thanks to this, uh, this pair, the natural areas at Montrose were expanded by 3.1 acres because Monty and Rose constantly took their chicks to um, a feeding area that was where the volleyball uh, courts were. And eventually, um, you know, the Chicago Park District was petitioned to add that area to the natural areas and the volleyball courts were moved to a different place on the beach. And and that area is now affectionately referred to and unofficially referred to as the Monty and Rose Habitat
1: Expansion.
2: So... um, you know, they, they basically uh, open the eyes of people to the fact that there are endangered species, there is a need for conservation.
1: And so going forward um, for you and for the volunteers, um, is everyone just kind of going to disperse or is there is, is there some organized work going forward? We certainly
2: hope that piping plovers will return to Montrose or Waukegan or Rainbow Beach. Those are all suitable beaches in uh, in Illinois for piping plovers to nest, and we will be ready to support them and monitor them anywhere they show up. But we also will look for opportunities to help promote conservation in other ways. Um, as an example, Chicago is um, right. On, the, on, on a very important migratory p- pathway. And there are a lot of um, bird collisions in Chicago. And, and we, we have to see if there's something we can do as a group to help educate for the need of turning lights off and reducing um, the glass surfaces that uh, birds hit. So
0: the collisions are like with, with windows? Is that kind of what that is? Like yes, analysis? yes.
2: Okay. We, we, we have one of the highest numbers of of bird collisions here in
0: chicago boy you know i was talking about in florida and and they get these towns filled with wealthy people who are not necessarily conservation oriented right um uh, uh without getting into it too much um but in these wealthy resort towns and and you know they've got it so that at night during turtle nesting season the lights are red um, because turtles, for those who don't know, when the baby sea turtles um, hatch, they align themselves, I don't know all the details, but like with the moon or the stars or something. And so if you have your porch light or your uh, uh, whatever light on, it can sort of screw up that, that system. And and so they've got them all covered in red and it makes it hard to see, um, but it, it it conserves the turtles. And so I'm hopeful that, you know, if they can do that in, in Florida, you know, maybe, maybe we can do that in, in the Chicagoland area too. Sure, sure. Tamima, this is really interesting. And we thank you for sharing the story of, of Monty and and Rose and sort of your relationship with them and everybody's relationship with them with us. And it is, I mean, I, it, I'm, I'm conflicted because I too, I, like I feel emotional about it. And, and, and um, uh, but I also, you know, I, I think there's some hope, hopefully. And this is a story that, that will hopefully continue um, yes, yes, on that, that, that upward path. Yeah. But that's actually not why we invited you here on Teach Me About the Great Lakes this week. The uh, reason that we invited you on Teach Me About the Great Lakes is to ask you two questions. And the first one is this. If you could choose to have a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch, which one would you choose?
2: That question is really easy for me. I'm of of a Lebanese background. And um, we have what's called naish, which is a wonderful pita bread and thyme and olive oil uh, sandwich that we eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So um, I don't have to choose. I can have a sandwich and eat it for breakfast. or Wait for... a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> I think you...
0: <laughs> That's good. Uh, if Carolyn were here, I would say that I think you Kobayashi meru this thing, which is a Star Trek <laughs> reference that I only vaguely get, but Carolyn would get it. Um, all right. So when I'm in... I, I, you live somewhere in the Chicagoland area, yes. right? All right. So when I go to Chicago, I'm going to visit Reenie, and we're going to volunteer hopefully to watch uh, Imani and 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 his um uh breeding mate I suppose when there is yes. one. Yeah. And so before we go out there we're going to want to get ourselves some some maish is that right?
2: Na-ish, naish, yes.
0: Okay, where where should where should we go to get it?
2: My favorite place and actually it's my treat on my way back from Montrose back to my house. My treat is to stop at a restaurant called Libanais which is Lebanese and French. Libanais. Um it's on Tuet and Twee and McCormick, and I stop. I pre-order the Naish, and I pick it up, and I, you know, I eat it on my way home.
0: That is done and (laughs) done. I yep. All right, I'm. I'm It it will be
1: my treat when you come. Oh,
0: perfect. Let's. We'll we'll have to make it happen.
1: Yeah, all right, deal. So, Tamimo, what is a special place in the Great Lakes that you'd like to share with our audience? What makes it special? Last year,
2: uh, I went on a visit of. Rose's hatching place first and then Monty's hatching place and Monty hatched at Silver Lake State Park in Michigan.
1: That's where I got married. (laughs) Oh wow so you know
2: how special the place is.
1: Yeah but it was November so it wasn't you know (laughs) the best time but still.
2: It was it was my first time seeing Great Lakes dunes and they are huge they are so big and there was a big expanse of sand. The sky looked beautiful. We got to meet Monty's dad, Yogi, who's actually still breeding. And we got to meet uh, Monty's half-sister, who was really scurrying behind her dad. He kept her moving. And, but the place was so beautiful. I had never seen these kind of dunes before. They are very special, and um, I, I would highly recommend for people to experience them.
0: Well, that sounds awesome. Now, before we, before we let you go though, so if people want to find out more about Monty and Rose, well, and and the, the best place to, the place to start, I think are your two books,
2: not one, but two books. Tell us about these books and where can people find them? So um, there are two children's book, you know, they're mostly suitable for ages two to 99, but really two to six, <laughs> um, <laughs> six or eight. And, um, uh, one is uh, called Monty and Rose Nest at Montrose, and the second one is Monty and Rose Return to Montrose. And uh, they are available on what my website, which is named uh, plovermother.com. Uh, all, the pros- pros- all the net proceeds from these books go to uh, Great Lakes Piping Plover Research with Dr. Francie Cuthbert.
0: Look at that. And I'm looking at these now. I'm going to order these for, I happen to have a kid who is a daughter who is in that, um, that neighborhood of age. So I'm going to order this for her uh, when I get a minute. And if you want to find, go to plovermother.com or, or if you want to, you can look in your little podcast thing right now, look down in the show notes um, and you'll, you'll see, you'll see a link to that and, and many other things we talked about right there.
2: And if people want to learn more about Monty and Rose and their time at Montrose, uh, the website org is a great resource.
0: There to go, Chicagopipingplovers.org. Well, uh, Tamima Itani, thank you so much. Or the uh, lead volunteer coordinator of Chicago Piping Plovers, a board member of the Illinois Ornithological Society and about to be the seller of one or two more books to me <laughs> and hopefully to many other people. Thank you so much for coming on and teaching us all about the Great Lakes.
2: Thank you very much.
0: know nobody wants to hear this is the end of the monty and rose story uh, and you know there there's some hope, but it's uh it's it's well it's good to hear how touched so many people were i think um by by these two birds
1: yes and uh their their young son coming forward and um you know coming to montrose beach that's that's a nice coda on the story
0: it is it is and we hope that yeah, we hope that it's where it leads to book two, I guess, to continue the story metaphor.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but we'll see. And uh, that's you know, it's just a challenge with this stuff. Is symbols are really important, and they are, and and even just being that is 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 good. Uh, but but you hope that there's, I hope that in a few years we're we're interviewing plover people again. Yeah,
1: yeah I I mean I think Monty and Rose, because of their celebrity status, really raised the level of. The importance of conservation. And when you go to the beach, you know, seeing these areas that are no longer, you know, a place to lay your blanket, but they're, you know, planted with grasses and whatnot. I think I think it really all connects for people a little more now. Yeah,
0: I think it does too. And I think even that is a success. I remember, so I, um, when I was getting my master's degree, I was looking at an imperiled species of sucker, which would make Titus Soilheimer, Dr. Fish happy, I think. And uh, I remember talking with someone and they were like, well, Stuart, you know, why does it really matter?" Right. You know, some species go extinct all the time. And, and, you know, that's true. Right. Um, That's that's part of the deal. And and some species should go extinct. And I'm not saying, um, you know, naturally, but of course, the rates of extinction are way higher than they have been thanks to human intervention. But I think some of these bigger picture things are a big chunk of it. Right. When you look at like the additional awareness, that's good. When you look at like the land that is conserved for end- endangered species, you know, that's a critical part of it is that it's not about just this one species, but it's the environments they, they live in. And so I think that when you tie it to that bigger conservation, that's that's uh, really important.
1: Yeah, and this story brought it all real to people.
0: So Monty and Rose, uh, uh, too soon of an ending, it seems like. Um, but uh, I'm glad that they uh, did what they did in terms of raising awareness, helping with the conservation cause and uh, bringing people together. <laughs> teach me about the great lakes is brought to you by the fine people at illinois indiana sea grant and we encourage you to check out the great work that we do at iicgrant.org and at ilincgrant on facebook twitter and other social media teach me about the great lakes is produced by hope charters carolyn foley megan gunn and Reenie miles ethan chitty is our associate producer and our fixer a lot of fixing lately with these live shows our super fun podcast artwork is by joel davenport And the show is edited by the awesome Quinn Rose, and I encourage you to check out her work at aspiringrobot.com. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please email it to teachmeaboutthegreatlakes at gmail.com. Send us your Monty and Rose stories if you have them. Or leave a message on our hotline at 765-496-IISG. You can also, if you want to, follow the show on Twitter at teachgreatlakes. For Rini Miles, I'm Stuart Carlton. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and keep grading those legs.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Rini. Oh, well, thank you, Stuart. It was nice to be a part of it, because I actually happened to be on the beach, Montrose Beach, because that's right down the street for me, the day that Monty came back. I knew he was on his way, but I didn't think he was going to be back at that point. Um, but there were TV cameras and stuff. So um, I was like, oh, Monty's back. And then the day that Monty died, I was also on the beach unknowingly. And um, I was going to ask someone about Rose because I was like, where's Rose? Right. And then, um, yeah, it turned out to be a different story.
0: If life has taught us nothing <laughs> in the last couple of years, not that we needed the reminder, but uh, it's not always a fairy tale
1: ending, is it? No. (laughs) Anyway...